Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 198. 198, guys. We're almost at wow. 200. Isn't that freaking nuts? Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. We haven't always been consistent, but... We have ma- almost made it. Enough. Yes. <laughs> so we are your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Welcome back, ladies. It's so good to be back. Although it's, uh, we always talk about the weather, but it's in the 80s right now. We're going through like a heat wave some way sometimes. It's like the first week of fall. And it was 84 degrees today in, in Southern California in Los Angeles. And I was not emotionally prepared. Wow. <laughs> I know. I was, ready. No, do you know what I'm emotionally prepared for? I'm emotionally prepared for pumpkin spice lattes. Yep. Scarves, like boots and everything and stuff like that. That's what I'm emotionally prepared for. That's what October is. And yes. What do I get over 80 degree weather. Two weeks ago, I had already started my basic bitch era. I a, drank pumpkin spice like two days straight. I <laughs> had um, worn a sweatshirt because it was cold outside. I freaking had ramen for lunch. And then 84 degree weather. I yeah. know. I know. I actually was sitting um, in in my bedroom. I have a chair next to um, the the door. So I can. I was feeling all the cool air coming in and I was wearing a, a hoodie and I was like this is the life I love it and then my brother walks in and he's like I enjoy it while you can because I heard this weekend's gonna be like a real, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be in the 90s I'm like I'm like why didn't you just mess me up like I was having a good time he's like if I know about it you're gonna know about it so I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks a lot sibling core <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Kristen just came back from San Jose where she ran a race. How was that? Yeah, so I went to run the San Jose Rock and Roll Half Marathon. Uh, and it was a lot of fun, but I was just telling Jen, I really wanted to try to see her. And at least, if anything, I had a big pile of books uh, for to give to her for us that we're going to be reviewing in the future. And I was just so tired. I just never got, I couldn't bring myself. I was in bed by 5.30 after making the drive <laughs> over there and and everything and then having to prepare for the next day um but it was a a race i definitely think i would do again i had a lot of fun it was pretty flat and i actually uh succeeded in shaving some minutes off of my time um it's not a pr it's not a personal record for me um because in my younger days i actually uh did um races a lot faster than what I do now, but it was a, um, an improvement from the last half marathon that I ran back in January. So I'm super happy with that, um, improvement. And, um, I just wish that I had more time to explore the city because what I did see of it was really super cool and cute. And there was like a lot of history there because it's one of the, it's one of the settlements of the, uh, what do you call it? The, the 
colonizers, oh. the the <laughs> religious colonizers. What are they called? Yeah, like the mission missionaries. The missionaries. Yes. Yes. Colonizers so, make it religious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Those religious colonizers. <laughs> exactly. What about you, Jen? What's up with you? Well, still working at the airport, still going through it. Um, honestly, like I am like just vibing. It's I don't know. I'm at this point where I'm like school is done, but my professional career still hasn't really like started. So I'm just kind of like in this weird limbo. Space limbo. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, well, some days I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the life. I'm so happy. And then the next day I'm just like, this sucks. I'm not doing anything. And then, yeah. I had, I definitely had some time like that after I graduated and I wasn't doing anything in the area that I studied. I was just babysitting and cleaning houses uh, after I graduated. And it took me some time to kind of get on my right track. But I think that was time well spent to just decompress from everything that I had been doing and kind of like, get into my own uh like self get into like in introspective times of like really where what did i want to do and and where did i want to go and where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> yeah honestly and i am like i am thinking i've been, i'm definitely a lot more introspective now but in in introspectiveness that feels a little bit more constructive than when i was like mm-hmm. doom spiraling when i was like in my earlier 20s mm-hmm. so it's i don't know the when i think about and because i'm working with a lot of now like 18 to like 21 year olds it's really funny kind of to see just where i'm at and then when they're mm-hmm. where they're at um uh, although i'm still sometimes prone to impulsive decisions um uh, aren't we all uh... less yeah yeah <laughs> it's definitely a lot less than them and uh how they like when they tell me things i'm just like it's so obvious how you can address this but i'm just like you know what no i'm gonna let them figure them out this out on their own (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's it's just been a lot of that but still like being left alone with your own thoughts is kind of like you i don't want to know her like that (laughs) totally get it <clears throat> for me i just um, um i had kind of a weird week work week but um i think the highlight for me this week was i work-wise i put an appeal uh it, from uh some claims because i work in the medical billing from the year 2021 and they just paid because of my submission of my appeal with the wording and the gathering of information and it just felt like a real accomplishment so now i'm yeah. just so happy i think that's amazing first of all kudos to you for being successful in you know doing your job but also i just am so flabbergasted at how the medical industry works and how these claims were denied in the first fucking place like people just be out there making shit up to make insurance companies pay like that's so ridiculous like the united states sucks so hard when it comes to our our medical system medical and system. Yeah. yeah 
it is ridiculous the amount of the, and then the reasons. I mean, at one point when I first started, they denied um, a claim because they, I didn't put in the information correctly. And I'm like, I'm looking right at the claim. What what box are you talking about? And they're like, well, there's supposed to be a zero and you put an O. And I said, there's no way that I type. <laughs> I go, whoever uploaded it and whoever typed it out in your system did it wrong. And uh-huh. yes, they had to, they typed it in wrong with an O uh-huh. instead of a zero. And that's why they kept denying my claim. That's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. It is. Not the fucking software issues. Oh! Yeah. Improve just- it. Like, okay, there's UI. And then there's like, in the like, the user interfaces and like user friendliness stuff of that, like at the forefront is going to be like tech companies and stuff like that. And like people, stuff like Apple, which is why they come out with a new like phone every other year. So it's because they are actually upgrading how it is that you interact with technology and stuff like that. And then all the way at the bottom is anything that is like, like handyman or like, um, uh, like very like hands on stuff and the medical field because the medical field hates oh no it doesn't hate well no yeah it kind of hates change because then you have to have new new ways to file this new ways to process it and so that's why it always feels like the medical field is like yes there are advances in like technology and how to cure stuff but then in the minutia of it in the like okay you need to file this you need to file this you need to get this you need to get that it's like it always feels like it's 10 years behind Oh, absolutely. I mean, the struggle was at the beginning, finding out that they were denied and then then finding out where I was supposed to submit the appeal. And let me tell you, that took several phone calls because they gave me different faxes. They gave me different addresses. And I'm just like, I, I honestly thought they were never going to pay them. So that just feels like a personal victory. And Yay! That, it was just, yeah. it was just... I needed it. I needed it. I really did. (laughs) All right, guys. It's now time for Trastorno de Panico. Yes, we are. We're substituting Chisme de la Semana for this new segment that I like to call Trastorno de Panico. And today we have a new movie. I just love the way you say it. (laughs) <laughs> it just reminds me of the old black and white um horror films that i used to watch uh-huh. the mexico it, so yeah that's how they they would talk i'm sure for, uh, yeah <laughs> that's what it was like so this uh this week we have Wesera, the bone woman it's a movie that came out in 2022 it's a mexican peruvian supernatural body horror film it was directed <laughs> it was directed and co-written by Michelle Garza Cervera in her di- directorial debut. So this is her very first film, and um, she got a lot of awards for it. Oh, wow. It stars Natalia Solain, Solain as Valeria. She is a pregnant woman who finds herself threatened by occult forces, So Valeria, (laughs) I want to make this fun. (laughs) So (laughs) Valeria is expecting her first child Um, and then her joy about it. Like, you know what? Throughout the movie, I just felt like she didn't want to have children. 
but she mm. was with her husband and they were trying really hard. They, you know, they had been putting in the effort and then finally she got pregnant. But the way this movie's filmed, like her face, like those close-ups and the, the amount of emotion that she projected as an actress for this part was that I just felt that there was a lot of kind of like in uncertainty about her being pregnant within herself, but she didn't want to admit it to her family or her husband. Um, so I guess that was kind of the projection she had. And that's why it feels like she was cursed. Uh, she was cursed by an evil spirit. There's a, a demonic presence that has attached itself to her and so we feel that it's affected her so much that she's having problems with her husband because he doesn't see any of these things and obviously like her family her family di dynamic was really just it was twisted like she's telling them she's pregnant and they're like why are you pregnant you don't even like kids you know like just and then they're <laughs> like do you remember what, do you remember what happened when you were like trying to babysit this kid you let him fall down the stairs and he was never the same after that so like they're really attacking her and she's i mean for me it feels like if you're pregnant you, the people around you should be nurturing so she, i feel like she was having a lot of like dynamic like trying to figure herself out and trying to be okay with being pregnant and i felt like it gave a lot of uh perinatal depression vibes that's mm. when you're uh, um you're depressed during and after your pregnancy so <laughs> i was just like and then that uh, alongside this evil spirit you know how when demons attach to itself to you how that goes that's exactly how it <laughs> it just like, the imagery was amazing and then so she has to because it's in mexico so she has to turn to of course like las curanderas con the first thing she did was she got she had the egg rubbed all over her body and then they um um, they open it, of course, in the in the in the glass of water, like you know our moms used to do and our grandmas used to do to us. Porque nos dio aire. Um, but she basically says somebody has you really tangled. Te tienen bien amarrada. Like something's like attached itself to you. Um, and, but they do a lot of that occult brujería stuff, which I really love. I love that in films. Um, there's some sort of loss of identity she's experiencing as well. Uh, that Latino family guilt is going on too in the background and then she has this like kind of this longing for a past relationship she had with her best friend so it has L lgbtq type um vibes as well it's it, it's just beautifully shot i mean i thought this was such an, a great movie um it's a slow burn but it's it progresses to just i was like what's gonna happen so i was just like completely blown away and this being her very first movie uh, she 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 blew it out of the park for me i was just like wow and not only that but the music because she comes kind of from a punk round punk rock background um where she meets this woman that she kind of still loves but it's not sure because she's married so um they're kind of punk rock and still like the background music like the um the score not the score i guess the soundtrack, soundtrack. i actually yeah, the soundtrack, I actually discovered a new band, which has kind of like Joy Division vibes, and they're um, they're actually called Decima Victima, so that's the 12th <laughs> victim. 
and it has kind of dark wave joy division uh, vibes i totally did a shazam on this um and it turns out this band it was um it was two swedes and two spaniards so that's why they, they sing in spanish but they have a short-lived career from the ni- 1981 to 1984 but oh, wow. i really love music yeah so i actually actually have it on my playlist now so i'm very excited about that discovering a whole new band in rock and espanol that is not mana in the same shit <laughs> i i'm so salty against mana like oh can we stop playing it at the clubs already not that i attend clubs anymore. <laughs> but anyway that is what's on el trastorno de panico mm. this week is called huesera the bone woman and you can and- stream this okay that's what i was gonna um, ask and where can you watch it um <laughs> Apple TV for sure, um, and I okay. think Shutter as well. Shutter, you can. I think you can watch oh, it on Shutter. Oh, Shutter! I like Shutter. Yeah, me too. It has. I don't have stuff. any of those. Well, I oh, if think you ask Coffee, you can Coffee. probably get Shutter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been my segment. Trastorno de pánico. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> All right, guys. Now it's time for On My Radar. What's on your radar today, Kristen? So, On My Radar this week is something shocking. I know I was shocked. Because it is something that I would never in a million years have said, this is a book that Kristen A, will read, and B, enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, nonetheless, this week on my radar is Transformers number one. So Transformers um, was a a property that was solely, I believe, through IDW most recently. And IDW lost uh, the... I don't know if they lost the rights or their contract was up, but regardless, Image swooped in and now they own the rights to both Transformers and G.I. Joe. Um, and it was a big deal when a couple of months ago, this book called Void Rivals came out. No one knew what the hell it was about. No one knew um, that it was going to be anything interesting. But um, Robert Kirkman, who has always been a very... Um, big supporter of local comic shops, let it, uh, the cat out of the bag to retailers saying, Hey, keep this under wraps. But this void rivals book is a GI Joe transformers crossover. And it is setting the stage. It is setting the stage for, um, our title, uh, books that are going to be coming out later on in the year. So this is the first one out, Transformers number one, and um, it was released October 4th, and <clears throat> it's an all-new Transformers era. Um, the writer is Daniel Warren Johnson, who is the writer of a book that I love so much called Do a Powerbomb that um, is like some, uh, some uh, what do you call it, Mexican wrestling and like uh, MMA, not MMA, M. What is it? WWE or whatever oh, type WWE. vibes. Um, but there was it, it. Just a side note. That's a story about um, a wrestler who was super, super um, popular. It was a, a female wrestler, and uh, she happened to die in the ring. And her daughter now is wanting to take her place. Um, it was a really good book. I really highly recommend it. But the writer of that book, Daniel Warren Johnson, is. Um, 
basically uh, working on uh, Hasbro's Robots in Disguise book. Uh, And uh, so the storyline basically follows Optimus Prime, who was supposed to have led the Autobots to victory, but instead the fate of Cybertron is unknown and his allies have crash-landed far from home alongside their enemies, the Decepticons. As these titanic forces renew their war on Earth, one thing is immediately clear. The planet will never be the same. New alliances are struck, battle lines are redrawn, and humanity's only hope of survival is Optimus Prime. So, listen. I barely recognize those names. Optimus Prime, I know Decepticon, I know I think Bumblebee is one that I knew and that showed up in the car. I know nothing about Transformers. I've never even seen any of the movies. Um, All I remember about Transformers is that Aaron Kahn, somebody who was a classmate of mine in 8th grade or 7th grade, used to sit in the back of science class and talk non-fucking-stop about Transformers. And he would bring his toys to school and he would show them to me. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, because whatever the fuck Aaron was saying was more interesting than what Ms. White was saying at the front of of the classroom. And also, uh, he was just a nice kid. And, I mean, I, I didn't... I didn't think he was cute, so I wasn't interested in that way. But uh, I always was friends with boys because uh, I was a tomboy growing up. So <clears throat> I was like, oh, yeah, Transformers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what he was talking about, and I'd never seen the cartoon. Um, so the only reason I read this is because it was a big number one. It was highly anticipated. People have been calling and like, can I get one? Can I get one? And so I'm like, I'm going to read this. And lo and behold... Even though I am not a franchise fan and I didn't know really anything prior to any about any of these characters, I really enjoyed the story a lot. Um, there was a backstory um, about uh, with some human kids <laughs> in it um, that uh, one of them has some like uh, home stuff going on. I think uh, that. A sibling died and the dad is now a drunk at the bar and this kid is like trying to like make something of himself but also get out from under the the shadow of his dead brother so that was interesting and just I really really was shocked at how much I enjoyed the book so I thought I would talk about it here on on my radar because um, I think that there are probably actual legit fans of the franchise who would really enjoy the heck out of this book so uh transformers number one it is an ongoing uh the first issue is out and definitely uh contact your lcs there's probably going to be second printings coming out um but i had to already reorder number one because we sold out the first day so uh check it out yes Mm mm-hmm Dude, I didn't know this. I mean, sometimes I watch on Facebook, I watch those Am I the Asshole videos. Yeah. One of the Am I the Asshole videos related to a woman that would talk nonstop about Transformers at a <laughs> I know really? what you're talking about. <laughs> I read this one. Oh, my God. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the Am I the Asshole Reddit of like reddit page because it's just bonkers and like some of them aren't real but some of them are so ridiculous that i'm like there's no way this isn't real like i can (laughs) see this happening because it's so it's so like i can see like the logical patterns being established and then i'm like oh my fucking god this did happen to somebody r.i.p 
<laughs> yeah, so this lady apparently would write fan fiction about Transformers, bring her toys into the office, talk nonstop about Transformers, go to the conventions. I didn't know they had conventions. Oh, Transformers me Transformers the- fans go hard. They do. They even talk about like what are like the the hardest uh, Autobots to buy, to get or like it's bonkers. Like there's some that go for like four thousand dollars. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like this is just insane, dude. Insane. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, and I get it now. I mean, they they obviously transformed you into a fan, Kristen. So I mean, that shit must be fire. Look what you did there. <laughs> oh my god. Now I want to read it. <laughs> I am and I now kind of want to go to the LCS that it's around here. I haven't been there in a while. Uh and try to see if I can pick one of those issues up because I have a friend who is an ex Transformers friend. She had a bad breakup with the Transformers when the Michael Bay movies came out and she's like I can't do this ah. anymore they've tarnished them oh my god <laughs> oh, really were they were the movies like I don't know anything about the movies so were they like uh, the oh. fans t- turned their nose down at the movies uh, yeah like the, the if you're a fan of like the the comic books the like old cartoons and everything and stuff like that they do not like the michael bay movies if you say you're a transformers fan but all your knowledge comes from the michael bay movies other transformers fans will be like ew <laughs> you can't sit with us <laughs> yeah pretty much that, wow. that's, that's like nuts. that's like comic readers turning their their noses uh, up at people who just watch who just watch the movies and wear the t-shirts but don't know anything about the source material. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It's that time again. My favorite time of the podcast is La Hora de la Cervecita. I'm so excited. This is actually a... Isn't this like a collab? It is. I just noticed that right now. Uh, I didn't notice it earlier that... I just saw the Carl Strauss Brewing Company, but I just saw that it is a collaboration with the Pizza Port Brewing Company. Uh, And this is called Nectaron of the Gods. And that name just actually gives me Transformer vibes. (laughs) Right? Nectaron. your your palate um you know i i'm um i think that when i first started uh drinking craft beer carl strauss was like a big deal and then pizza port i came across pizza port at um costco they sell pizza port at costco which is crazy and i think we did review pizza port but it just it does i don't know pizza port it just why would you name your brewery after pizza? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how to feel about this. But this uh, collaboration, I'm kind of intrigued because the whole can is, um, it's kind of a, it, it's like a orange hue to yellow. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it looks pretty cool, actually. And Nectron of the Gods totally, you know, 
Megatron, Nectron. Maybe, maybe they're Transformers fans as well. Well, it definitely says that you will be transported to Hop Heaven and indulge in the divine taste of Nectaron of the Gods IPA. It's their latest collaboration with longtime friends at Pizza Port Brewing Company um, with a masterful blend of Nectaron and experimental... Uh, YQH1320 hops. I've never seen that type of hop before. Um, This IPA is bursting with notes of passion fruit, peach, grapefruit, and pineapple. Oh my gosh. Uh, Accompanied by tropical and stone fruit aromas. Refreshing and crisp on the finish, this San Diego style IPA makes it the perfect summer sipper. Fit for the beer gods and mere mortals alike. Wow. That like that description, like it's a lot to live up to. So I I definitely yeah. And it's an IPA, but the way they made it sound now, I'm like, look, it's hot. And I just took this out of the freezer, so it's like cold, cold. Oh nice. If it isn't good, I'm gonna be so disappointed. Me too. They they really hyped me up right now with all that all that description. Mm, smells well, good. Smell it smells delicious. It smells like rind. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, and it has a back taste of rind. Ew, I haven't tasted oh. it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a slash between hop and rind back um um kind of lingering aftertaste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It grabs your tongue at the end. It does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it gives you like um, the fruity fruitness forward, but in the back after aftermath of the skull, it's a rindy and hoppy. Yeah. And I, this okay. is a 6.8, I think it says. Mm. So it's refreshing at first, and yeah. then it assaults my tongue. Yeah. Yes, it it's, did. It's uh, it, it is. I should say, layery, because it has two different tastes in oh, one yeah. sip. Um, so that's kind of creative. But um, I'm not feeling the vibe they started off with the description of the can. I mean, it, it just it's it's all right. If it was just that initial taste in the beginning, and it allowed itself to like build up and become sweeter as you drink it it would have been exactly what i wanted but Mm -hmm. then it wouldn't have been an ipa right Mm -hmm. right although we have tried ipas before that uh that we really enjoy and i i maintain and if you as a listener you're a big ipa fan and you were like be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But I maintain that when IPAs have that strong hoppy taste at the end, that that's just, it, it feels like just lazy brewing to me because that's not what, an IPA does not need to have that. Like you can have that hoppy taste without it assaulting your tongue the way Jen said. <laughs> Like that's a perfect description of what this beer does, and I think uh, I think people forget actually what how why and how IPAs were were created in the first place. Like they were created at a high hop 
uh, percentage because they needed to last through the entire journey through India uh, on, I don't know, trains or camels or who knows how they <laughs> transported their beer back then to the troops. And, uh, and so that's why the beer was brewed the way that it was and i think that someone with a big overgrown beard and man bun along the way was like you know what that's pretty cool man let's let's just take that and make it popular and all the other beards and man buns are like yeah and hence the the uh, the culture of ipas was born <laughs> because at the end of the day because at the end of the day, IPs were never made to taste good. They were made to get the troops drunk. And look, at 6.4? Eight. That's not doing it fast enough. 6.8, that's, yeah. that's still not doing it fast enough. I feel like <laughs> if you're going to be an IPA, you should at least have the ABV backing you up and need to be like at least at an 8.0. Oof. It's, I don't I, it's not... Very enjoyable to me. There are some IPAs that have that taste at the end that I still can appreciate the flavor that it has. But um, when the hoppiness just overtakes everything, even that gross rind taste at the end, that's just too much. I can't enjoy it. And I can see why they say it's a sipper because no one's going to want to be taking big gulps of this beer. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that as well. If it was uh, just that initial taste, because that initial taste is so good. Yes. If it tasted how it smelled, I I think it would definitely be um, be much better. Like, what yes. Smelling like all I can smell is that rind smell. Oh, I smell the pal. I smile. I smell <laughs> the pineapple very strong. Oh, I, I smell the, the pineapple. Yeah, the pineapple. Yeah. yeah. All it has a lot of fruit good. for it to be going this in this route. I just feel yeah. like a little bit light too. Uh, or I feel like, you know, like the thought process are like, wow, that's a lot of fruit in there. Maybe like, maybe it won't taste like an IPA and we'll lose our credit as an IPA. So let's just <laughs> throw in a bunch of fucking hops in there and be like, yeah, we have our IPA. God. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're ready to rate it. I I, I am disappointed. And I wonder I if it's that new it. hop, that new hop that we that is on this list that we've never heard of is just super strong. The I the YQH thirteen twenty hop, and I guess the Nectaron is a type of hop. It says blast from uh, blend of Nectaron and experimental hops. So oh, those are two we've cool. never heard of before, actually. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yes, if we are ready to rate, I will remind our listeners of our rating scale. And it is a five-point scale with, as I burp into the, <laughs> the <laughs> microphone, uh, with um, one out of five being very unsatisfied. Two out of five is just a regular unsatisfied. Uh, three out of five is neutral. Four out of five is satisfied. And a five out of five is very satisfied. Um, if it's a beer that is amazing and we just cannot get enough and can't wait to open the second can or bottle, that is a super saiyan. Um, and if it is a beer that we just are like, nope, can't do it, uh, 
then it is a flaccid. So I'm going to start. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm between flaccid and un, very unsatisfied. Um, but you know what? I'm going to go with the very unsatisfied because <laughs> this is the one time where the mad face is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm unsatisfied and mad at the same time because I, just like you said, Sarah, you feel lied to. So I am very unsatisfied. One out of five. Uh, this is Sarah, and I'm going to go with the unsatisfied. Um, and the reason for that is, yeah, I did did definitely feel lied to, and um, I feel like um, because it was a collab, I thought it was going to be like really excellent, and then for them to give me a description that just was not what I tasted and and I feel bloating already I'm gonna drink it but um yeah, <laughs> of course than me. I'm gonna drink it until I can't stand it anymore nah <laughs> usually with these ones the more I drink the better it gets and this is the opposite the more I'm drinking the grosser it gets so yeah. I'm stopped <laughs> I think I'm also gonna give it a a one and unsatisfied. That's very unsatisfied. Yeah, sorry, very unsatisfied. <laughs> With a mad face. <laughs> and that face included. has been our beer review. All right, guys, now it's time for our book review. What are we reviewing today? Well, today we have a book that Sarah brought. To us, all the way from Modesto, California, when she attended the Latino Comic Arts Festival last, I want to keep saying last year, but it was just this year in March. Um, But I didn't get to go and Jen didn't get to go this year. Um, Sarah braved the table all by herself, but was rewarded handsomely with amazing food and friends. And I was very sad to have to miss it. But um, this book is... Don't forget and drinks <laughs> and drinks, and drinks. <laughs> yeah. um but this actually is a twofer um this is one of those books it's a single issue but it's one of those books where on one side it's one comic and then you turn it over and on the other side you get a different comic so um i didn't actually notice that until i finished reading the first half and i was like hey there's stuff in the back that's all upside down. And that's what I turned it around. <laughs> so um, we got, uh, I got more than what I bargained for. But I originally had um, intended to read this comic called Adelita, which is a self-published comic book uh, by the De, De Lilia Images comic uh, publishing company. And it is written, created, and published by Fernando B. Rodriguez. Um, the artist is uh, Gabriel Alberola. Uh, and then there is original art uh, on the cover by Jesus Helguera. Uh, and then there's graphics and lettering by, by Alfonso Salazar. So this book has been in existence for quite some time. Uh, it's been uh, the first printing was printed in December 2003. So uh, we just bought this in 2023. So 20 years later, the book is still <laughs> in existence and being um, uh, shopped around at art uh, co- comic art conventions so the 
first uh, story, Adelita, is, uh, and I don't know, is uh, this reminded me of when I first learned of the group of women who were like uh, soldiers and um, and what book was that? Was that a, a Phoenix Caden Phoenix book that I that we read about where the uh, the the women were? Or she went know. and she I stayed. Don't... She went and stayed with these women and they and they trained her and. I can't remember this vaguely. I vaguely remembered that story when I was reading this book. <laughs> yes. Um, I think she made a mention to it, but I actually learned about Las Soldaderas uh, from a movie, uh, a, a movie from Mexico during the golden age of cinema in Mexico. And the pr- protagonist was uh, Maria Felix. And I believe the, um, the title of the movie was called La Soldadera. And that's uh-huh. when I discovered that women went out to war with, out to fight the revolution with the men, and they would. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's how I think. Don't quote me on this, but I think that's how Café de Olla was born, um, because they, really? they were traveling and had to brew their coffee in las ollas que cargaban, uh, and then they added cinnamon because obviously they had to make it pleasant for them mm-hmm. to drink it. And I think that's how they. Um, or tr- start to brew with sugar and cinnamon sticks. Don't quote me, though. I may be wrong. Um, but yes, La Soldadera, basically these women that had these bullets, because they were like, of course the men were fighting, but the women were like, they would cook and they would they would uh, mm-hmm. wash and do laundry and fight. And they mm-hmm. would also be the ones that would carry the bullets across their chest and then would go in and, I'm out of ammo, and they would run over and give them the ammo. So, I mean, they, they had a big role in the revolution. And with this book, uh, for me, I had no idea. So they were, they're called Las Soldaderas, then they, the term of the German also is Adelitas. But I didn't know that Adela was a real woman. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I, I, I remember this other story that we read, which I think that that's what it was, where they referenced Las Adelitas. That was the name of the group of women who she went and stayed with and like trained her to be a soldier and to be a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, um, basically a hired killer. (laughs) Um, so so that was Jalisco then Jalisco was the one um, and so, uh, when I read this, I was like, oh, is it a real, but when you're part of the book actually has like real pictures in here, like, of course, this one with the, the, um, the model is just, uh, you know, a, a depiction of what they would look like, but there's real like photocopies of old pictures in here, um, that, I really found very interesting. And then um, the the story of Aralita Perez, who at 13 years of age um, was so adept at shooting and fighting that her friends and followers actually thought she had supernatural powers because I she was know. just so she was so skilled. Um, I thought that was a super cool story. Um, I I was like, I want to learn more about this uh, woman, um, this girl actually at thirteen. Um, but I really enjoy 
I know that we say this a lot that when we read comics that teach us of history, because um, I didn't, we didn't learn this history. I didn't learn this history growing up. I didn't. I, I think very briefly the Mexican Revolution was touched upon, and probably just in passing to. To, I don't know, say what they wanted to say, but um, it's very interesting to me to learn more about this, especially for a country that has so much connect that we have so much connection to. And uh, one of the things here that they, uh, or was it the first story or the second story? No, I don't remember. But oh, um, where they talked about how. Um, they were talking about uh, Toltec women were leaders of yeah. their tribe and maintained the care and the freedom. And then this uh, Spaniard came and uh, and basically um, conquered the tall statuesque woman whose name was Cala- Cal- Calafia. Um, she was an Amazonian ruler of her nation, and that nation was California. I thought that was so amazing. I need to know more about this woman. Yeah. It's, it was in the uh, 600 AD uh, Toltec woman, Amazonian woman. That is amazing. Like, I want to know more about her. That, like, she could be my, my freaking... I would read I would read the crap out of a comic book about her. <laughs> I just find it very interesting because I know in Latino culture um, there is a lot of talk of uh, machismo and toxic masculinity and stuff like that. But any Latino kn- knows that the matriarchs of the family ha- of the family have so much power. Uh, and so much like they, they lead their family. They, they're the ones who make sure everything happens the way that it needs to happen. And things continue to go when things are going bad, they continue to move forward. And while men obviously have roles in their family and in their communities and stuff like that, um, I just know from my own experience in my own family that the the women of the family are really the ones with um, a lot of the were a lot of the just like and I think you were mentioning it earlier like not only were the women fighting and they were doing all this but they were cooking and they were taking care of the house and they were to, and they were expected even back then to do all of that stuff. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, so anyway, I just. As far as what I learned, I was really interested. As far as this being a comic book, I mean, not really. There's like panels and and, and drawings that were part of the first two pages. But after that, it's just pictures and panels and stuff, which I didn't mind because I was enjoying what I was reading. Um, uh, And there is uh, at the bottom talking about this... uh, about the uh, Amazonian ruler, it says her adventures continue in our next issue, and I was like, I screamed, "What!" Like I'm like, <laughs> I hate when that happens. It's like you're watching this movie. It was like across the Spider Verse, where I'm all into this two and a half hour movie, and it says to be continued, and I wanted to throw my popcorn at the screen. Like that is the story I want to read. I want to track down Fernando and be like, okay, give me the book. Um, of Calafia because that's the one I want to read. So, not to burst your bubble, but um, um, and this was uh, Calafia was a fictional queen of oh. uh, the 
island of California based off of the old story that was um uh, oh god what, what was it what was it what was it uh Las Cerjas de Esplandin the adventures of Esplandin so this is actually where they got the name uh um uh, the people aren't people aren't sure whether California was named after this story or if um, uh, the story was made after they had already named California, mm. but yeah, they it's like I probably if I did more research I can figure it out, but um, um yeah, she wasn't real. So and it was weird, this weird like calafia, which was the word like the Spanish word for like caliph or the Arabic word caliph, um, um which was the ancient ruler stuff like that. So it was yeah. Um, even though she wasn't real, what I do find interesting is that even if it was made up, who's making up that it's a woman ruling? Like that is interesting to me. Like the the social mores of the world back then in 600 AD, making up a story of a woman being this amazing ruler. Um, it's still interesting to me, but still now I'm yeah. now I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and even that in itself has um um has like there is like the the reason was that because in such a male dominated society, what would be so fantastical, so ridiculous, mm-hmm. so like so topsy turvy, like like kind of like oh my god, this is not how the world is supposed to be. Put a woman, yeah, in ruler, and then have a man come and subjugate her mm-hmm. and make uh, things right. Got it. Yeah, because that is it. how the world. And yeah, that's how the world operated and thought back then. So while the idea like is in itself insane, and also just kind of the whole thing as well with like, why is it that Mexican people love or like um, um, love the the Virgin Mary so much? Mm-hmm. And it's because there was like female goddesses, but then the the synchronization and bastardization of Catholicism with the indigenous people's beliefs, then we'll be like, okay, here is a goddess. Yeah. Or let's not call her a goddess. Right. Let's put the virtues that we think are good and right upon women onto this woman. I have a complicated relationship with the Virgin Mary. Um, um, (laughs) And um, um, this is not to diss her, but you know, like I want people to think. Yeah. Like, why are these things? And I guess, I even the story of Las, Las Adelitas too is something that is mired in because there's there's of course the corridos about Las Adelitas and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's also the woman herself, um, uh, the young woman who died poor in the United States. Whoa. Um, uh, yeah, and like she was not recognized until. Like the '60s around the feminist movement, yeah. So she was completely forgotten from history, uh, pretty much. Um, uh, like the actual woman uh, until like the '60s and like the feminist movement in Mexico and stuff like that. So that's fun and ideal. Um, uh, and I don't. It just the way this entire thing read to me. It was I wanted to like it. And to some extent, I did because it did bring up, it did, it brings awareness. It brings uh, like, and I don't want to be like a super downer, but at the same time, I'm just like, 
so obvious that a man wrote this. That's funny because before you came on, Jen, both Sarah and I said that. Um, I was like, you know what? One of the things that really struck out, stuck out to me is that this story has an entire creative team with no women on it. And now I want to reach out to Fernando and ask him, did you write this thinking it was true? Or did you know it wasn't true and you just thought it was a fun thing to add? Um, Because there's no like asterisk or anything here talking about how this is not true. So did he just do enough research to just kind of scratch the surface and be like, oh, this is a cool story and didn't really even look further into it to be like, oh, it's just a, it's just a old wives tale type old thing. Wives tale. It's just a story. And yeah. here's the thing is I feel like the way that I'm thinking about it and the way that we talk and talk about it, it's like as people who have like gone to college or have some like college and we're just like, okay, but what are the sources? But what's like, <laughs> like uh-huh. where did you get this from? Where did you hear it from? Like, do yeah. you believe it true? Wow. Do you believe it's true? Uh, so that is how we are tackling it. When in the end, sometimes it could just be a story that's fun to read. And I, um, even even when I was reading it, I was and I was trying to turn my brain off. At the same time, I was just like, okay, but why are you focusing on like they were all so beautiful and stuff like that? Why can't be a, a woman be ugly and heroic? Like, what the fuck? And let's. Be I real, bet you some of them like, are. <laughs> some yeah. of them were. Yeah, but they don't get the attention, even though they do right. equally heroic things. Like right, like, yeah. And everybody always wants to make the Adelita like she was thirteen. And I mean, yeah. kudos to them because some of the pictures here, the women looked like they were in a revolution. They looked a little rough, and also yeah. because they're old photos. Yeah. But still, at the same time, there was just this emphasis on like they were so beautiful. Like, okay, and I don't know. I just I wanted more, but it is only one issue, and it's an issue written in two thousand three. So two thousand three is not exactly the ideal of feminism. So. <laughs> uh, so should, should we move on to talk about sure the legend of la llorona and then read yeah. them both at the end sure okay yeah uh so the cover artist was uh rafael navarro when you turn the book over uh the creator and writer and publisher is fernando b rodriguez artist is casey quevedo and h luis rodriguez uh, graphic lettering, Alfonso Salazar. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start. I did not know that this was, they, this had more details of how La Llorona became to be. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that she was actually a mestizo woman. Um, uh, back in, I don't know, what, what, what was the year that uh, the Obviously, the she was mestizo, so she was like uh, born from the slaves on the hacienda that was owned by Spaniards in Nuevo in New Mexico, La Nueva Tierra, how they refer to it. Um, I am a little disappointed because I I was told the story is slightly different, so I feel like okay, I was lied to when I was a kid. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I also feel like everybody kind of it's it's a story that's told word of mouth. So there's going to be a lot of different stuff. Yeah, so, I just remember my grandmother telling me she drowned her children, but I don't remember why. And I don't know that right. my grandma told me why. I just remembered she drowned her children. Um, yeah. And honestly, am I misremembering that? Did my grandma tell me that? Or did my grandma tell me just that the children drowned? So yeah. I don't know because I've heard so many different iterations now as an adult that I might be misremembering. But I know children died and she was a grieving mom. That's the That seems to be the theme that I hear in all of the stories. Right, right. Like um, that is that is the common theme, and I think the fact because they are very they're different, like depending on families and depending on like like oral stories, and I think even depending on regions, like there are different stories of um, uh, La Llorona and like how like why she drowned her children, whether she like drowned herself afterwards or not. Right, and I feel it's kind of also telling of your own like growing up and like kind of the ideals that you were raised depending on the story that you were because some of them say that she killed her children children because jealousy of a man some say that she killed her just because she she wanted to like get with a new man i've heard that one be too before and she didn't want the like the vestiges of like her old one i personally grew up with the version of that she drowned her kids because she didn't want them to suffer Mm. um um and then she killed herself because she was just like this, like, world is worth living. I'm like, ugh. And I was just like, damn. Yes. I, I do also remember the she killed herself thing. And mm-hmm. how many of us have had family members tell us with every fiber of their being a story that they believed where they saw La Llorona? Oh, yeah. yes. Are they like, like your cousin? Your My uncle, grandmother your would tell me grandma. a story of how she saw La Llorona cross in front of her in a car she was driving out in the middle of nowhere. And she, they just saw a floating figure of a woman cross in front of them. And I, what are people thinking telling young children these stories? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That is another purpose for it because, like, I mean, why did they tell us about El Cucuy, La Llorona, El yeah. uh, Chupacabras? Like yeah, because yeah, they, they're, or like the boogeyman or something like that. I'm a, they're like cautionary tales meant for the children to like stay close to the yeah. parental figures. But at the same time, I was just like, but she was a mom and she killed her kids. Yeah. Then, right? So there's also like this double edged sword like, I could kill you. <laughs> I love but that. also, it be your own family. It be yeah. your own family. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wouldn't do that, or would I? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, this is like, like, did like, does no one else like think that? Like, you're telling kids these stories of like Yorona, like, oh, she killed her kids. So yeah, don't go out, don't go near the water, because that is also another thing. It is a cautionary yes. tale. Yeah, yeah. Like, having kids like stay away from the water, but at the same time, like. They're like, you want me to stick close to you, but this is a, a, yeah. a woman who killed her own kids. Yeah. And so just like, you and your parent making eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, never, so, you never know. So apparently this story Trust of La Llorona no is in the 1500s. So it takes place. It's she Apparently she was um, killed in October 13, 1593. Um, 
So and I was laughing how they were like, she was an old spinster. She just yes. was like in her, and I'm like, she was 29. Yeah. Oh my god, Do you you have no idea how badly I wanted to throw this book against the wall when I read that she was 29. Bitch, yeah. I'm 29. Yeah, I'm not a spinster. <laughs> Yes, like, of I guess at the same time they're like, oh, people, the average lifespan over there was like forty nine or something. Yeah, forty nine didn't mean that they looked like they were fucking eighty. They just meant that sometimes they just dropped dead at forty nine, like gods. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, and then it, it continues story. to be like uh, she was she was uh, raggedy in and but 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 still stunning in her 34th year because at 34 <laughs> that was really old <laughs> like oh yeah i felt a little attack there as well um <laughs> like still my, she, like she looked raggedy but she was still stunning at her very late age of 34 um but yeah no my story of la llorona is that um she drowned two male kids, and that's why she only came and appeared to males ah. by, the, by the river, by mm-hmm. bodies of water. And she would cry out. And that's and that's a thing. I, I think one of the things I have kind of like that I didn't like about this, but maybe it's because they heard a different version of La Llorona. But the crazy thing, the thing that would chill my bone would be like whenever somebody would say the story of La Llorona and then they would say, I miss <laughs> You know, I felt I needed that. I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember it being a boy and a girl in the story that my grandma told really? me. Yeah. Oh, I'm s- this the- <laughs> That's funny that you guys are gender. They would just say kids. Yeah. Like, they would just, uh, like, she just drowned her kids. No, I, I, I don't know why, but I specifically remembered that it was a boy and a girl that, uh, that, and I wish I could remember the whole story. And honestly, why did my grandma tell me this? What was the conversation we were having? I was a hundred percent in elementary school. So, um, I was probably 10 years old or younger when she told me this yes. story. And I want to know what were oh, we yeah. talking about that she felt the need to tell me this story? <laughs> you know, I think it's just the way they did things back then. Like they entertained the kids, they would tell them stories. And I don't think they just, they had kind of, um, um, they didn't even have a thought that this is inappropriate. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like Jen said, like, okay, yeah, it's a tale, but yeah, it's about a mom who drowns her kids. So like, hey, I could kill you. <laughs> but, um, but also in the story that, that he tells, um, there were missing children after that. Right, yeah. By oh, yeah. bodies of water. So that could be true. I, mean, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd well, they did. He did show share a bunch of pictures of kids, but that didn't. I mean, he could have got those pictures from anywhere off the internet. Um, or like, so the way people, some people process grief instead of thinking like, like oh, like my child drowned, or like my child fell into a water and we couldn't find them, or. And, like, how was it maybe because they felt guilty of, Mm -hmm. like, negligence? Not watching them, yeah. Not watching them and stuff like that. So, instead, they would rather believe that it was La Llorona who took Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And so, and, like, that's, like, that's the tragic 
And I also, I think also like a any amazing, interesting, I don't want to say amazing, but it definitely does strike like kind of like awe and like interest in me about how we process grief like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way that we can tolerate it is if something else has done it and not us or like what we think is us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. So it it definitely made me sad, but at the same time, as I was reading the story, and there was like certain moments when the story where I was just rolling my eyes, like okay, whatever. <laughs> Again, well, her being her, an old crone by the age of twenty nine, leave yeah. me out of this. The the, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that reading the Aralita, I was like, okay, all of this is a hundred percent true, and I find it so interesting. But reading La Llorona, Llorona. Um, even though he was sharing stories of what appeared to be, a you know, the influence of the story, I just a hundred percent was like, Oh, this is all made up. I didn't even once think, Oh, this was a real person. It was, uh, to me, it was just more fiction. So I, I'm assuming now that Rosa Maria was a real person, but of course, it could be anybody who w- could fall into this storyline that happened back in the day. And they were talking also, I mean, the Catholicism was taking over. And so uh, the, the what do you call it, the witch trials and all that kind of stuff. It was just a convenient, um, a convenient solution to this freaking Spaniards problem of impregnating um, the help. To be honest, right, right, yes, yeah. of course. And like another thing, like the Yonan is such a is such an old story that we can't even really pin it to fifteen ten or fifteen ninety two or whatever it says. It's too like this. The way that they say like it's too specific because even uh, like if you go back to that kind of like oral storytelling, this could have been something that originated because of the conquistadores all the way from like mm-hmm. the beginning of the of the conquest when. Native women were drowning their children because they were enslaved, and they said, "Like, hey, I would literally rather my child die mm-hmm. than be raised up in an environment like this." So, like, that is where those stories could have like originated from, but then they got uh, entangled and manipulated and stuff like that by the Spanish and by the conquistadors to make to vilify a woman. So, mm-hmm. you know, because in the end, that's what it is. Like I think that is what um, um, La, Llor- La Llorona is, and that's why I will always prefer my version and any version where she is more of a victim, yeah, uh, than one where she's more of a like of a monster. Which I mean, eh, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. it's a purpose, but at the same time, to me, not really, because I'm just like, what kind of environment happens where you think that killing your children? And then yourself is more viable than, oh, like, I don't know. And it could also be just me having a particular scorn for men being like, oh, all this for a man? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And this reminds me a little bit of, like, the story about Medusa, who basically she, like, worshipped Aphrodite or Athena. I don't know which one of them. She was a... Yeah, the priestess in the temple of Athena, but she's so beautiful. And then Poseidon rapes her, and then Athena gets mad and curses her with these 
stare of stone. It's like, who's the victim? Fucking Medusa. But mm-hmm. all through history, she's the monster. Yeah. She didn't even yeah. deserve any of it. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Which is why I like retellings where it makes it where Athena is just like, oh, here, let me give you this power so that a man never touches you again. You can just turn yes, him into stone. I like that. that. Oh, yeah. I like that, yeah. Yeah, I like that feminist retelling. Yes, of course. <clears throat> so we're actually ready to rate it. What do you guys think? Oh, if we're, are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Yes, we're definitely yeah. ready. <laughs> we, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Or do you want to go first, Kristen? Well, I was just going to say, um, I even before you burst my bubble with <laughs> with um, the part I liked the best of the story um, and, and telling me that it wasn't even true, um, I was going to give it one concha because of the fact that um, it is more of like a zine to me. Um, it wasn't really a comic. I enjoyed um, the historical stuff about the the revolution but it was all stuff that we've already kind of read in other books before and did it in a more creative way um like for example um dia de consuelo oh my god i can't like that book was so freaking amazing and did and and uh uh, shared all the same information that was shared in this book but in such a a more creative and actually um, resulted in um, me really retaining some of that information because of just how um, well it was done. So, um, and then for La Llorona, like I said, I just read it as a fiction story. So I didn't even, like it didn't dawn on me, but I I think that that story happened far more often than to just one woman named Rosa Maria with the Spaniards coming and taking what it was that they thought they could um, and uh, you know, raping women and, and then just leaving them uh, behind. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, I uh, am giving it one concha um, and think that um, I definitely would even like like to see maybe because like what Jen said, two thousand three is was a very different time. That was twenty years ago. I'd like to maybe see this have a re uh, a, a repass uh, of you know with a different lens uh, and uh, going over both of the stories and seeing what comes from them. But that's my review. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to uh, go after and I'm going to give it those conchas because I was really entertained with the La Llorona story. I read it like it was true. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and was very disappointed with the fact that uh, it was boy and a girl because I grew up with the kids being kids, boys. Uh, and that's why they only attacked or appeared to men. I wonder if they told you that because you were a girl. Maybe, maybe, could be. And the Adelitas, I, I found really kind of stunning. I, I kind of just remember uh, the movie that I saw. As, as a matter of fact, the cover, uh, Adelita, looks a little bit like Maria Felix. So that's kind of where I went with that. So I found the information very uh, entertaining. And not only that, I found it like, like really cool like stuff that i'd like to kind of research on my own so i'm gonna give it those conchas what about you jen so 
I'm going to give it one concha as well. I was going to give it half a concha. But then I really did. I enjoyed the Alderita part more. Um, uh, so that in itself is like one concha. And then the other one, I'm like, eh. <laughs> was the information inaccurate? Yes, it was. But I think they still did a good job of bringing focus. And the fact that in 2003, they remembered who like the actual Adelita was. So I was like, okay, that's cool. That's interesting. And it does do that it brings interest and curiosity and it makes you question like oh like who is this so that you yourself can like research more and then you can find out that the califa wasn't real um, um so <laughs> there think, should I have been a is... disclaimer yeah. <laughs> maybe they thought it was real it's one of those things where they mix up like old stories and stuff like that with um, um history and stuff like that yeah i mean you could say that the entirety of the bible does that Right. Um, uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna give it one contra. I think it was it 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 did its job especially for two thousand three. And it's actually like pretty like well printed. Like I'm wondering like is it are the is the person who did this still printing it now? Because that's one crisp comic. If it was printed <laughs> in oh, and one like, thing that I I wanted to uh actually talk about was how this uh publisher i'm assuming uh what was his name fernando um he actually hit up local businesses in san jose to have full page ads in the middle of the book so um there's a, like about four or five pages that are separating the aralita story and the la llorona story and they're all full page ads for businesses in san jose so there's a page for peggy sue's um Diner, uh, Hammer and Lewis Fashions, uh, there's a South Bay Bronze and Aluminum Foundry, whatever that is. Um, and so I thought that that was actually pretty ingenious. Um, it's like how when you're in high school and you're selling ads for the yearly yearbook to get it printed. Uh, and so Fernando probably funded the printing of this book by all of these ads and Keller Williams Realty. Um, I, I really, uh, thought that that was kind of cool. So, um, kudos to Fernando for, uh, funding his comic, um, by local businesses in San Jose. Most definitely. All right, guys, it's time for En La Libreria. Jen, what do you have for us today? So today for En La Libreria, I have a feminist thriller. That's Ooh. what it says. The Poison Cat, a Chinese folklore. Uh, so it is a sharp satire on fearful male dominance amidst the rising tide of feminism. Dark humor weaving through an ancient witch folklore. So, this is the story. This is specifically the legend. Legend has it that in the remote mountains of southwestern China, within the Qiang village, those wives who are gentle and submissive during the day will transform into half-human, half-cat evil creatures during the night. Ooh. They gather in the pitch-black forest, indulging in the feasting of flesh and blood, seeking pleasure and conspiring to devour husbands from certain households. These <laughs> evil creatures are known among the locals as the poison cats. And then they have really cool artwork. 
So in China, there are many similar legends of such female demons. These stories are manifestations of the demonization of women by patriarchal society. Men forcing women to play the role of submissive wives and fantasizing their transformation into avenging demons. So the story of this because this is a like for a film uh deep within the mountains men from village continue to mysteriously disappear in the forest it's rumored that they were the victims of the legendary evil spirit the poison cat hunter abitai doesn't believe in the legend but he uses it to threat and rein in his wife however her tough and creepy response which he has never seen from her sends shivers down his spine it isn't until night falls that he awakens from a dream Astonished to find his wife and all the village women have inexplicably vanished. In his panic, Abitai spots a trail of eerie footprints on the ground. Clenching his hunting rifle, he tentatively follows the prince into the depths of the terrifying dark forest. The the poison cat precisely symbolizes the suppressed pain and erupting anger within the wives. Meanwhile... Abitai and the other husbands, they project an outward toughness but harbor inner fragility and are filled with turmoil and unease internally. Such husbands are not uncommon in today's society. The Poison Cat narrates the story of a man's deep-rooted fear of losing power within the context of women's empowerment, a fear that ultimately consumes him. So, the progress for this already, they have a script they have like they've done a field study for this. They have had um a cultural and environmental research in locations where the legend comes from, such as in Aba, Sichuan, Shimeng, Yunnan uh, of China, and are amassing a wealth of visual references. During a visit to a local village alongside the native scholars, they asked a villager, "Have you ever heard about the legend of the poison cat?" Her response left a lasting impression. In a hushed tone, she said, "I know who the poison cat is in our village." Oh, I can. Wow. Photos. Yeah. They have like really cool photos on here. Um, um, They have a location where they're going to film. Like they like have like a film chosen. So it says their chosen filming locations are set within the depths of Yunnan's forest, a place inherently shrouded in mystery and terror, perfectly aligning with the atmosphere that they're aiming to create. And then they have pictures of the place. They are, uh, their visual design is in progress. They're working on the design and image of the poison cat and props and adornments associated with it. So they have like sketches and designs and stuff like that. Um, um, they actually have already won some prizes because uh, they've, I guess they've already done like a short film. Uh, for this, they won the top cash prize of the short film market Minute International Short Film Festival in China. They were selected uh, for the Claremont Friend International Short Film Festival, uh, which was a crossover with Kickstarter uh, They uh, for that program. And they were shortlisted by Gilu Short Film Pitch Contest in Taiwan. Uh, and they actually won a cash prize. Um, uh the director is Tian Guang. Uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. I'm so sorry if I'm not. <laughs> uh, he is a writer-director based in Beijing. He earned his MFA degree in film production from Syracuse University and Cal Arts. As a filmmaker, Tian likes to explore the power shift between individuals and social groups. His short films have received awards at Warsaw Film Festival, the LA Film Fest, Leeds Film Festival, 
Gijon Film Festival, San Diego Asian Film Festival, etc. His works have also been screened widely at other international film festivals, including Montreal, Moscow, Slamdance, Zinebi, Palm Springs. His work, Drama, was collected by John Hopkins University MICA Film Center. Tian is currently working on his first feature project, which has been selected by Cinemart, Eve Ties That Bind, First Film Market, and received three awards at the Hong Kong HAF Financing Forum. Uh, Vivian Bao is a producer or um, uh, for this. She is a producer-director. She earned her MFA degree in film video from CalArts and enrolled in the directing exchange programs with Le Famille France. Uh, and as a producer, she engaged in many short films that went to numerous film festivals. As a co-executive producer, the feature film she engaged, A New Old Play, won the special jury prize at the 74th Locarno Film Festival. She was selected by Eve Ties that bind European Asian co-production program and also Shanghai International Film Festival, SIFF, Next Producer Training Program. So they have a full financial plan of where the budget is going to. Um, um, they are currently, as of recording this, looking for, uh, they're looking at a goal of $10,000. They're currently at 1215 with nine backers and 44 days to go. You can always back uh, without expecting a reward. You just want to show support. But the base pledge does start at $12, where you will be, your name will be featured in the rolling credits, uh, and you will receive a digital poster. Um, uh and then at $26, you can get a production photo and behind-the-scenes access, as well as all the previous uh, rewards. And then um, um, at $42, you get a priority private link for the film, uh, plus all of the above mentioned. And then at $78, you get postcards and the Blu-ray version of this when it, it, if it meets its goal uh, and is able to be filmed. So you get uh, eight postcards of design features, Let's see. So eight postcards of design uh, design pictures and film stills and a Blu-ray DVD of the original film and special collections. And then it keeps going up from there. Uh, they have a really cool like one where it's like $500. You get a single page of, gre- of credits of to you as well as a thank you video. Oh, so cool. like in the credits, your name will be mentioned as like without and then your name, a gender support, this film wouldn't have been happened. So there's that. And then at um, uh, 1500 or, or at 3000, you can get a co-producer label on. So your name will be on the like, like the thing that will say like co-produced or produced by. So that's kind of cool. And then the most expensive one is actually a cultural adventure at $6,600. Whoa. If I had money, I would <laughs> Three-day customized cultural tour of the shooting locations in Yunnan, China, which is like if you kind of think of like places that are like famous in China, Yunnan is like kind of one of like their cultural like historical places. I'm pretty Mm. sure it's like protected. So that's really cool. But it sounded it fit with what we were talking about today, and I think it's a really cool idea, uh, especially because like the poison cat. I've never heard of this. Yeah. So I'm super excited for it i love anything that's based in mythology like this and still being like like you know horror focused so yeah uh, the poison cat a chinese folklore on kickstarter check it out nice all right guys now it's time for juntos y fuertes christian what do you have for us today so today i have for you two things 
It is the first week of October, and October is best known for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But um, what I uh, also know it for because of my past experience working in the domestic violence field is that it is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So I have two websites that I want to refer you to um, with regards to both of these. They're not celebrations themes i don't know <laughs> monthly monthly awareness themes um and the first one is something that i ju- an organization i just learned about through a friend who shared a link um to a, an anthology series that she uh contributed to she's a cancer survivor and she um has contributed to this book uh that was published by metaviver.org it's uh it's a metastatic breast cancer research support and awareness organization. Um Metavore is dedicated to the specific fight of women and men living with stage for metastatic breast cancer. At the time of MetaViver's founding, no organization was dedicated to funding research for the disease and no patient groups were speaking out about the death of stage four cancer research. While more and more people have taken up the cry for more stage four research, MetaViver remains the sole U.S. organization dedicated to awarding annual stage four breast cancer research. So reading between the lines, I feel like maybe research was kind of just dropped for stage four cancer because people were just like, well, you know, that's already too far progressed. Why would we even waste our time? Which is kind of sad. And Sarah and I were talking, uh, well, we were all talking earlier about how, what a sad state um, our uh, healthcare system is here in the United States. So uh, they had dedicated uh, some money to this, uh, what do you call it? This anthology. And you can find the book on Amazon. So that's, uh, I can't remember what it was called. I know that I had, uh, I had that opened up here on my page too. And now I think I probably closed it. So I'll have to share that too. But there is a link on to Amazon link to the book uh, that I will have uh, included uh, on this episode. So, um, but Metaviver, you can find out more about them at metaviver.org. That's M-E-T-A-V-I-V-O-R.org. And the next thing I would like to share um, is the fact that you can go to dvawareness.org, um, which is the website for the Domestic Violence Awareness Project, which is a project of the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence. Um, and there is going, there's a hashtag going around this month, hashtag one thing. And the one thing uh, that you, that there people are asking for you to share on social media is what is one thing, one thing that you can do that may seem insignificant, but to get together as a community um, can lead to real social transformation. So for example, maybe I can make um, a 
Facebook post um, and say that my one thing is to to be more aware of my words in my when I'm angry um, because words carry a lot of weight. Words can build up, but words can also tear down. Um, and if everybody did that, everybody would be much better communicators, and um, there would be much less issues, um, relational issues, uh, and definitely verbal abuse is a huge. Uh, domestic violence issue. Um, it's not just physical abuse or sexual abuse, verbal abuse and emotional abuse. Um, sometimes our um, victims say are as much worse because those words replay in our heads. The physical violence and the sexual violence ends, but the words keep replaying. Um, so um, you can visit uh, dvawareness.org for more information about this campaign, um, which is uh, hashtag one thing. There's an action guide that includes templates, recommendations, strategies, and tools for incorporating this message in your public awareness activities and campaigns during Domestic Violence Awareness Month and beyond. Um, so those are the two websites that I want to share, dvawareness.org and metaviver.org. <laughs> All right, guys, now it's time for saludos. And saludos goes out today to Shiro Comics. That's S-H-E-R-O Comics. You can find them at shirocomics.com. Um, we have talked about them before on the show. Shiro Comics is a Los Angeles-based multimedia company on a mission to help women and girls of color find their superpowers in the world of geekdom by building diverse IPs that are leveraged with technology. The company was founded in 2016 by award-winning writer, creator, and ShiroCon CEO, Shakira L. Smith. Uh, after witnessing the lack of black women and girls in comics, the comic and comic book movies, Smith launched Shiro Comics intended to create a renaissance of black standalone superheroines. In 2019, the company partnered with West, with, the West, with the Westfield Corporation and launched the only all-female comic convention in America. ShiroCon, which made history as the first comic con to take place inside a Westfield property. Now, saludos are going out to ShiroCon because we were invited by ShiroCon to uh, attend the Lat LA Comic Con. Um, we still don't know if we will be able to participate. I mean, we have said yes, but we still are waiting to hear from LA Comic Con. But her extending an invitation to us to have a table at LA Comic Con is just really just a, just a testament of the community within us trying to support each other in in creating this um, this space for women um, and uh, in, in the comics industry and geekdom. So I just feel like completely blessed that she keeps us in mind and has extended an invitation for us to be at her booth at uh, LA Comic Con. So hopefully we hear back from her, but just the invitation alone just is so heartfelt. So I wanted to... Saludarla today. So if you want to know more about Shiro Comics, uh, definitely go to uh, shirocomics.com. She's selling uh, so some of her comic books. She has several titles there. We have reviewed Raven Choi. Um, so check it out.
guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, where can they find us, Kristen? You can find us at comadesycomics.com where you can find all the links to our social media platforms. Uh, and don't forget, you can always watch us on YouTube interview some very amazing and prolific creators talking all about their projects and amazing things that they um, are doing or have done. Definitely. You can check us out there. You can find us on all. Well, of course, if you're listening to us, you know that we're on most streaming platforms. So thank you so much for listening and always uh, supporting us. Uh, you guys are the true MVPs. Thank you so much for listening. We have been your host. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.